Let's turn to scripture, shall we? So we're continuing this series, as I said, looking at some of those characters in the Old Testament and God's, uh, God's faithfulness. Some very flawed individuals, and uh, this morning we're hearing a little bit about Saul. So thank you, Miriam. Saul's Jealousy of David. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's home. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people with Saul's officers as well, sorry, and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successfully he was, he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he had led them in their campaigns. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Saul, I think I've got the most difficult of all characters to try to unpack this morning. It's an incredible story of Saul, a man who was so, had so much going for him, so much potential, and yet fell so far. And it's a rather tragic story, I think. I feel quite sad when I read the story of Saul. And I think it's because I can identify with him in lots of ways. David, when he wrote a song of lament at the end of Saul's life in his death, began it with the words, how the mighty have fallen. And he wrote those words and composed that song, which you'll find at the beginning of 2 Samuel, with a sense of real grief 
a real loss, a real sense of pathos, as it were. Saul could have been such a great king. He was a mighty warrior. And yet how the mighty have fallen, he says. There's no hint of bitterness, no hint of revenge, no hint of, yes, now he's out of the way, I can be king. There's that sense of real empathy. Even though Saul it was who tried to kill him, pursued his life, must have made his life totally unbearable at times. Yet he still had that loyalty and respect for the king. So I want us to think a little bit about that aspect of what it is that um, made Saul fall. How, how did Saul fall? And compare that with how did David stand tall? So those are the two things I want to think about this morning with you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Old Testament narratives that speak of leaders who have honoured you and betrayed you, who have lived their life for you and uh, lived their life apart from you. We can see our own lives so clearly in those things. We pray, Lord, that your Spirit would touch our hearts and help us to see how we can learn from both the, the good and the bad and the ugly. And Lord, your spirit would lead us into your ways and to a deeper devotion to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did Saul fall? Well, I want to say that it began really with his focus. His focus was, yes, on God, but it's as if he had one eye on God and one eye a bit more on himself. And that double seeing was something that really got into huge trouble. The story begins with, or his fall, begins in 1 Samuel 15, where God says to Saul, I want you to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Now this is, <laughs> this is a, creating a problem for us, where we have our God saying, go and wipe out a people. Men, women, children, all their cattle, all their sheep, all their, everything about them needs to be annihilated. And I am not going to try and address that issue today. I would refer you to the podcast that uh, was made by Aidan with uh, Dr. Helen Pointer called The God of Violence. If you haven't listened to it already, it's well worth it and reading her book too. It tries to make sense of all that. But the way I, in very simple terms, try to come to terms with this is by recognizing that what he was saying, what God was saying, is that there is that which opposes my kingdom and my ways. And that is, in its darkest form, defined as evil. And when God commands 
the destruction of that which opposes him, then he is commanding the destruction of all that is evil. And Saul seeks to do that, but not completely. We read that Saul compromised in his uh, battle plan. And he said to himself, oh, I really like the look of those sheep. And those cattle look out. Oh, yeah, it won't matter too much, will it, if I just keep those and have those for myself. And I can get rid of the rest, like God said. He compromised on the destruction of evil. And he spared the best of the sheep and their cattle. And Samuel, the prophet, confronted him. And he talked about what Saul had done, simple thing like not keeping the cattle and the sheep for himself, as rebellion against God and arrogance in God's sight. And he says the sin of arrogance is like the sin of idolatry, which of course is the greatest sin that Israel could commit, and they did commit regularly. In other words, something that was in some ways small and understandable, in inverted commas, was saying that I am going to put this thing ahead of what God wants. And I am going to put this desire to hold on to things for myself above my love and devotion to God. In other words, he was saying the Lord was not really Lord of everything in his life and his leadership. You might remember the late David Watson, who wrote in one of his many books, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So he compromised. He wasn't wholehearted in his devotion to God's purposes. In chapter 15, verse 23, we read Samuel saying, Because you have rejected the Lord, the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you as king. So the fall of Saul had begun. I'm just going to have a bit of water. My voice is... uh... Needs a bit of lubrication. So this is the story. After that compromising of God's will, we read that Samuel then goes to Jesse, the farmer, and he anoints David, who's just a shepherd boy. And Saul, sorry, and, and Samuel says those incredible words. The Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Because all of David's brothers were great snapping people. They were very clever or they had immense power, but David didn't seem to have anything. But the Lord saw his heart. 
And that's who he anointed when he was quite a young lad. And he went on to become king of Israel. But in the meantime, Saul invited David to come into his service and use the gifts that he had. And one of his great gifts was music. He composed songs and he played and he sang and he played this harp, which wasn't a harp like we, a Welsh harp. Didn't have Welsh harps in those days. The best was yet to come. <laughs> they had a sort of instrument that they called a harp. Anyway, and he played that. Uh, and it soothed Saul because Saul was beginning to get a little bit bad-tempered. So the next uh, time we see a David, in the next chapter, he turns up uh, when the Philistine army are confronting the Israelites on the mountain. Across the mountain is Goliath, the great, huge representative of all that stands against God, the giant enemy of God and his people. And David stands up to the one who's opposing God. We know the story. We know the outcome. And the reason that we see in those verses for David's victory was not that he was stronger or greater. He didn't rely on human protection like armor, but he relied on the Lord. His weapons were that of trust and dependence and confidence in God. And he overcame all that was evil. David stood taller than the giant because his focus was fully on the Lord. So we come to chapter 18 and the return of both Saul and David from that battle. They are greeted by the women. When the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, and with tambourines and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands, tens of thousands. Now, that was a refrain that came through in that song. And in one sense, it didn't mean that David was greater than Saul, because in Hebrew uh, ways of, of speaking, parallelism that we call it in the Psalms, those phrases are often used together. It just means that David and Saul were killed lots of people. Hallelujah! You know, <laughs> so uh, that's how it was in those days. In other words, they overcame evil the perspective. But Saul took it so personally. He said, Saul was very angry and this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, and me with only a thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. In other words, he was looking at him and seeing somebody who was a rival, who he was greatly jealous of. Something within him began to grow 
A seed had been sown of resentment and it led to fear and hatred and even to the attempted murder of David. And because he didn't deal with the root of that when it first emerged, things just got worse and worse and worse. Just like the plant that I dug up from my garden today. If you are a gardener, it's getting very wilted now, it's only been out of the ground about two hours, but you can see that the roots are quite healthy and this grows very, very fast. It's the dreaded bindweed. And gardeners know that bindweed, if you don't get it out at the roots when it first starts, it begins to take over everything, climbs up all the wonderful plants around, all your roses, all the things, and just swallows them up. That's a very beautiful flower. Deceptive, but it is a destroyer. I think it's the most evil plant God ever created. <laughs> and I still haven't got rid of it from our garden. It just keeps reappearing. But you know, I think human nature is like that. We're a fallen race. And things in our lives will sprout up and can begin to take root. And jealousy is one of those things. And for Saul, he let that jealousy begin to fester. And it led to his own life being consumed by hatred and all those things that came from that seed. David, on the other hand, didn't have the same, I was going to say, he didn't have that attitude. He was able to deal with things when they arose. David had both eyes on the Lord. Saul had one eye on the Lord, one eye on self. David had both eyes on the Lord, except when he saw this rather attractive woman, Bathsheba. And his eyes began to wander. And here you have the root of pornography. It's there within us all. He just let that grow and develop. And before long, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And he commits the murder, orders the murder of her husband on the battlefield. But what happens when the prophet comes to confront him? He repents. And Psalm 51 is full of that outpouring of grief and sorrow for what he's done. And he seeks God's restoration again and finds his forgiveness. And so that root that could have led him to become obsessed, he could have become addicted to sex or pornography or to whatever it was, because he repented fully and the Lord forgave him in his mercy, so he was set free. The bindweed was <laughs> rooted up and he was able to continue his life 
in the freedom of that forgiveness and in the honouring of God, whereas Saul was trapped because he didn't repent fully and find himself right with God again. And so we find Saul's life getting worse and worse, and I feel so, so sorry for him. It's a disturbing story. Disturbing story. Whereas David was anointed with the Holy Spirit and appointed to lead the people. David, as we'll hear more of next week, was able to use his gifts to serve the Lord and tried to help Saul in his mental distress, his depression, and his fear all those things which had followed. And he used his gifts and his songwriting to serve the Lord in ways that now will bless us as a community. His psalms of lament, of praise, of honouring God, of telling the wonders of the Lord. And we are so blessed to have the gifts that David brought out of his rich life that we can use in our music. And we are so blessed to have people to lead us in worship in this church. Already you've experienced the gifts of two young men who are honouring God in what they're doing. They're not perfect. Are you? No, not quite. <laughs> but they are doing all they can to have both eyes on the Lord and using the gifts that they have. And what a blessing music is. How tragic it's been for us not to be able to sing out loud and express that worship fully. But how wonderful that we have such a rich range of types of music. I've just come up from Quakers Road where Barbara Lauritsen has been playing that organ for longer than I've been there. And it's just amazing, the gifts that she has. Our own musicians over the years have brought so much joy and it's been a great privilege for me and Tashan. We're both, you may have noticed, full-on worshippers for God. <laughs> we love it. Some people aren't, you know, that way inclined, but we are totally passionate and it's just amazing to have people in this church who will lead us in that way. But we love gentle, quiet, reflective music as well, like at the Celtic, like this evening, the Celtic evening worship, where we will have quiet stuff, reflective stuff. That's why we love to have on that last Sunday a combination of really going for it all age, bouncy music and stuff in the morning and quiet, reflective things in the evening. I'm so grateful for that opportunity and for the people who make it possible. We are so blessed by the gift of music and how that deep engagement with God can come through music and the expression of the heart till we're lost in wonder, love and praise. Sing to the Lord a new song, writes David. And we've been able to do that in many ways as we've worshipped God, hymns old and songs new.
Let me finish with just some words about the next song that we're going to be led in. And it's Matt Redman's When the Music Fades. It's all about recognizing that music and worship is an amazing thing to be able to join in with. But we can easily get one eye wandering onto what we're doing and take our eyes off who we're doing it for. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, writes Matt Redman. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when I've taken my eyes off you in my worship. It's all about you. For when the music fades, when everything is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth. It was David who said, will I bring to the Lord, will I offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing? You know, we've heard from Paul how this church has given, given generously. There's so many ways. It's costly giving. David says, if it doesn't cost me anything, you know, is it really worthy of God? Something that's of worth, that will bless your heart, Lord. I'll bring you more than a song. Song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the things that appear. Like Sam, Samuel doesn't look at the outside, looks at the heart. He knows our heart. You're looking into my heart, says Matt Redman, because he has heard the word of God through that prophet Samuel and knows what God looks for. And it was because God could see in David's heart a man who would be there for him, not perfect, but who would return to him when he was all over the place and be honest and genuine. And you know, that's what I love about this church, that there's a, a genuineness, there's an authenticity. You know, it says on the poster there, and it sums up uh, what we're about. I just want people to be themselves, you know. It's all that God wants. Just let's be ourselves. Don't try and worry about other people. Don't get uptight about other people's gifts or abilities or you know, don't let jealousy take any kind of root. But just let God affirm you for who you are as the person that God has made you and who is forming you into the person that he would have you be. We're going to worship the Lord. Let's stand together. Thank you that in your mercy you accept us as we are. That you allow us to be ourselves in your presence. Thank you that you've given us hope and a future. And that Lord we don't need to worry about other people. 
or the past. We just want to keep our eyes fixed on you and be a church that seeks to live to you, to your praise and glory. It's all about you, Lord. Let us be all for you. And the music fades.